You're listening to the Strong Towns Podcast. This is Chuck Marone. Welcome back to the Strong Towns Podcast. I've been doing so much traveling lately. Like, literally, I feel like I've hardly even been home. While I brought my podcast gear on a couple of trips, I've just not had time to do much. We've become this really efficient operation now. For years, I used to complain that when I was on the road, we weren't making very good use of my time. And, you know, too much time sitting in a hotel room, not enough time doing stuff. And boy, that has changed. Our staff has become really efficient and very good at making good use of my time. And so I'm, I'm finding myself with, uh, with less and less time on the road to write and less and less time to podcast, which you know, is good. If I'm going to be away from home, I'd like to do things that are productive. But with this travel schedule I've had, it's been a lot of time gone and a lot of time away from you. So I apologize for uh, being kind of absent on the podcast. I want to, this week... Start with a story from the 1980s about David Lee Roth and the band Van Halen. I used to think it was apocryphal about them demanding, you know, like a bowl of M&M with all the brown ones taken out. And this was kind of, in the day, this signal of the way pop stars were just out of touch with society, right? These, these guys were such huge divas that uh, they would demand these really oddball things in their contracts. You know, for example, we want a, a bowl of M&Ms with all the brown ones taken out. Like, wh- what kind of diva would ask for that? And it's fascinating because I saw an interview with David Lee Roth, and I don't know if it was like behind the music thing or whatever, and they, they asked him about this. And his explanation was just genius. It made, it made absolute perfect sense to me. He said, look, we're going into a place to play a concert we're trusting the people who are setting this up, who are not our staff, who are like them. We're trusting them that they are going to set this thing up right. We've got a stage, we've got pyrotechnics, we got, you know, all this stuff. And this is a big time production. This is a big time show. If this isn't done right, I could get hurt. I could get killed. You know, people in the band could get injured if they're not paying really good attention to detail. How do we make sure that they're actually following the things that we set out in our contract. How do we know? Every show is different. Our contract specifies, like we need certain things. The stage has got to be this dimension. The, uh, the catwalk or whatever has got to be this dimension. It's got to be this height. You know, There's all these different stipulations in the contract. How do we know, besides going in and watching and inspecting and doing this, which we don't have time to do. I mean, we're you know, we're rock stars. We got stuff we got to do. We can't do that. How do we know that the people here are following and have a real good attention to detail? And he said, what we did is we inserted some things into the contract language that was basically a tell. So if we show up to our gig and, you know, there's the right towel sitting there and the, uh, the right water sitting where we, you know, our contract says it would be. And there's a bowl of M&Ms with the brown ones taken out. What we're pretty confident at that point then that whoever's doing this on their end has taken the time to read the contract, read the fine print, has gone through and, and done things to our specifications. And we know, then we've, then we've got confidence. If we show up and there's none of that stuff, then we start to worry. 
then we say, okay, well, now we got to dig into stuff. Now we got to make sure we, we know what's going on. Now we're not sure we're even going to do this show. This was imminently sensible to me. I totally get that because we all use these shortcuts in everyday life. You meet someone, fair or unfair, how do you know you can trust them? You meet someone new at work, right away, you know, you, you've got to trust them to do things. How do you know? How do you know? It's interesting because Jared Diamond, and, and I've seen other people do this, but the, the first one that I ever read was Jared Diamond, wrote about the role of religion in evolving societies and cultures. And basically, his argument was that religion is a way for people to trust each other. If you and I believe something together that is, to someone else who, who doesn't share this belief, seems not only unbelievable, but just impractical. And let me pick on my own Catholic faith for a minute. You know, if you believe that your God was born of a virgin— and I know that you and I share that belief and that the person over there uh, does not, and in fact scoffs at that and laughs at that, I automatically have a bond with you. I have a bond of trust. I, I can trust you more implicitly than that other person because you know we share this common thing. It's, it's a tell. If I see you praying the rosary, I kind of have an insight on the kind of character you have, or at least the, uh, you know, in my context, there are certain things about you that I can now trust just because of that. Fair or unfair, I'm not suggesting that this is a, a universal truth or that there aren't, you know, glaring exceptions to this. But we all use these little tells to kind of gauge things in the absence of more information. I don't know you. I don't know you really well. I don't know your backstory. I don't know your life. But can I trust you? Well, if, if we share these beliefs in common, if we share these experiences in common, if we're both willing to commit to a certain set of, of beliefs, then yeah, I'm more apt to try. Like, that's like a tell, right? Right now in my hometown, uh, we're going through this school board bonding referendum. Uh, the school district has gone through this lengthy process, the way school districts often do, to look at their facilities. And let me back up just a little bit more. Here in central Minnesota, in my school district, we've long taken a lot of pride in education. We're one of the top-ranked school districts in the state, despite being one of the poorer uh, cities, you know, a city that has some of the highest uh, unemployment in the state. Our school district is top-notch. It's phenomenal. Um, it's very, very good. A couple of years ago, they had uh, some national award for like Blue Star. I can't remember what it was called, but like the top elementary schools in the country. And I want to say there's like 20 or 30 that were named. And we had four of them. I mean, in my district, this is a really good district. We do really well. And there's kind of been a commitment here to education. I mean, I remember as a kid, bond referendums that would come up and local voters would approve to spend money uh, supporting schools, maintaining schools. So now we have this case where our last big bond referendum is about to expire. Essentially, we're going to pay off the debt we have. And what that would mean from a practical standpoint is that everybody's taxes are going to go down because they're no longer going to include this large debt payment. The school district, in anticipation of this, and this is going to sound cynical on my behalf, but this is what they did, and this is how I think public agencies tend to run. Uh, there's some good politics to this. Knowing that this money was going to come off the tax rolls, they initiated a process 
to go through and evaluate the school's facilities with the idea that it could result in, at the end of the day, a bond referendum, basically another bit of debt that we would take on. And the idea being, and you could kind of see this as it was, the conversation was maturing and developing. The idea is that you could go back to taxpayers and say, look, we're not going to increase your taxes at all. This bond is expiring. And what we're going to do is essentially just roll that payment over into something new. Here's what that would be. You know, my criticism early on of this process was that they started with a budget number and then went to look at what their facilities were. Either way, we now have over $200 million that the school district is looking to spend on facilities. And so what happens here in Minnesota is that this goes to voters. Voters in our district can either approve the school board to take on that debt or they can deny it, in which case the school board have to figure out something else. They've actually split this project into three different bond referendum questions. The first one deals with elementary schools. They want to remodel pretty much every school. They want to abandon one and build a brand new one. They also have plans to go in and put new parking lots and auto facilities at all of them. We got a big presentation on this in my role as a planning commission member. I can't remember how much the elementary school part is. I want to say it's like 60 some million. I'm, I'm not sure on the numbers, but it's a, it's a large sum of money. The second part then has to deal with the secondary schools. So the Forest View Middle School. I'm just going to do a little aside. No, I'll, I'll get to this here in a little bit. I'll, I'll write myself a note here, um, Forest View. When I do these podcasts, I start out with like eight bullet points. So I just added a ninth bullet point. We'll take this towards the end. So the idea is that the middle school, uh, the high school, they have investments that need to be made, maintenance that needs to be done. We've got enrollment that's increasing. So they'd like to expand a little bit, add more facilities, stuff that they need to do to both of those schools. That's in the second bond referendum. And then the third one is an addition to the high school. They're doing some things with the fine arts program at the high school in the second one. The third one would expand that and make it into a full performing arts center. I mean, this was on a bond referendum in the 80s. I want to say it was again in the 90s. It always fails. It will fail this time likely too. Uh, but it's the third part of this three-part bond referendum. One of the proposals, the middle proposal, the one on the uh, secondary schools, includes half a million dollars to tear down Lincoln Elementary School. Lincoln Elementary School, I went to for about a year and a half. When I was in second grade, I transferred into the city. I grew up on a farm outside of town, and I went to a school closer to where the farm was for kindergarten, first grade, and half a second. In the second half of second and third, I transferred into a, a different program that was at this Lincoln Elementary School. And then in fourth and fifth grade, that program got transferred actually to a different school. So I went to a different elementary school for fourth grade and fifth grade. All of them were great experiences. But I, I remember going to Lincoln School, getting transferred there after Christmas break in second grade and, and really loving it. It was a completely different experience. It was a, a different kind of school. It was in town, uh, you know, all new students, all new teachers. The, the best elementary teachers that I had uh, were at Lincoln School. They were fantastic. And I really loved it. Lincoln School, along with three other schools, were built during the Great Depression here in my hometown. Lincoln, Lowell, which is the, the next school that I went to of the three elementary schools, 
Harrison and Whittier. These four were built around the same time. There's a great graphic that I was had sent to me recently with the grand opening of these. They actually christened them, I think is what they the term they actually used. On the same day, they had a big community-wide celebration. They had someone from the uh, the governor's office come. They had uh, someone, the architect was here. They had bands. They had all this stuff because they were doing this kickoff with these new schools. It was a very, you know, huge source of pride back in, in the Depression era when we built these things. And of course, they're built in that Depression era way. So on the bad side, um, they're not very handicapped accessible. Uh, they've got a lot of stairs. They are old, have radiators. They're you know, not modern uh, wiring and all this stuff. On the other side, they're just gorgeous buildings. I mean, they're, they're brick. They're classical architecture. They're just beautiful, beautiful buildings. They're built to last like, forever. They have uh, these kind of like multifunctional facilities. So all the gyms also can serve as a cafeteria, can serve as a community gathering space. When I was a kid, we would do plays in there. They would have elections in there. They, they'd have all kinds of stuff. Pretty versatile space and, you know, from a, a frugal population at a frugal period of time in our history. Of these four schools, Lincoln was taken out of commission. So it was it ceased to be an elementary school sometime in the last 15 years. And I, I can't really pinpoint the exact day. This is a, a recurring trend. So uh, I, I don't know the exact day on this one. Whittier, one of the other four, was also taken out of commission back at the same time. The argument with Whittier was that it was too small to really be a functional school. The argument about Lincoln was that there's no demand, like the neighborhood has changed. And, and even though this would have been like a walkable neighborhood school, back when it was built, there's no more neighborhood there, which is in some ways true. Uh, there's no more neighborhood there. And uh, so this school is not like the one we need in the place we need. The other two, Lowell and Harrison, have uh, continued on. My kids went to Lowell School, which is kind of cool because my grandma went to Lowell, my mom went to Lowell. I went to Lowell and my kids went to Lowell. Lowell is the closest school to where we live today. Um, we could bike there and, and my kids went there and, and they loved it. Harrison is uh, the fourth neighborhood school on the other side of town. In this new capital improvements plan that we've been doing, Lowell was scheduled to stay. Let me give you like a little brief aside about Lowell School. Lowell School has a program called the, uh, the Gifted and Talented Program. It's the AGAT program is what the acronym for it is. And the AGAT program, they've done a really good job of getting kids in there who are not necessarily like higher IQ, but learn at a quicker pace. Some kids uh, just learn very, very quickly. And for them, a regular classroom is in some ways torture because it moves at a, at a slower pace. These kids are not necessarily smarter than other kids, but they, they learn faster and they learn in different ways. And the way they learn kind of creates challenges too. They're kind of a, a different subset of kids. This group of kids goes to Lowell School. Lowell School has the Agate program. I think it is fair to say, and I've seen some of these statistics, but uh, there are exceptions. So I'm, I'm not making a, a universal statement here. But it's fair to say that there's a high correlation between affluence and kids in the agate program. I was in the agate program 
my parents were were not affluent growing up. I was one of the uh, one of the handful of kids who weren't. Today, I would say we are, especially in the Brainerd Lakes area, tend to be more affluent. The parents and the families and everyone I got to know in the Agate program, because my kids are in it uh, or went through it, tended to be two parent households, tended to be professionals, the kind of people who read to their kids and uh, and that kind of thing. It tends to be more affluent people. So Harrison School. Same basic school, just a different part of town, poorer part of town, uh, more rundown part of town. That school does not have that same demographic mix. Free and reduced lunch rates, much higher, that kind of thing. In the last process that we went through, uh, the capital improvement process, where they were looking at what to do with all these schools, there was never any question that Lowell would be kept. In fact, the school district has done a really good job of maintaining Lowell of putting money into Lowell to make it handicapped accessible, to make like incremental improvements over time, to improve the playground, to improve the facilities. Uh, They just keep maintaining Lowell. They put money into it. Harrison, on the other hand, has been starved of money. They've not been maintaining it very well. It's not handicapped accessible. They've not made those improvements. And, And in a sense, it kind of becomes like a fait accompli. When they got into the process, they said, you know, we think we're going to tear down Harrison School and replace, build a brand new school out on the edge. The reason we're going to do that is because Harrison School is in bad disrepair. If you went and talked to district officials, they would say, you know, like five years ago, 10 years ago, we're not putting money into Harrison because we think it's going to be torn down and we're going to get a new school. So it was a little bit like a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? Like we don't maintain it well because we think it's going to go away. And then we get to the point of making a decision. We say it's going to go away because it hasn't been maintained. It's a real source of frustration. The interesting thing is when they went through the process, many city officials, as well as a lot of people from the neighborhood that Harrison was in, stood up and said, you can't close this school. It's really, really important that we keep this neighborhood school. And I was very proud of our public officials because they've often been silent on things like this. They actually stood up and said, no, we we want to keep this school. It's very, very important to us. When the final plan came out, uh, the one before the bond referendum, the one that they're, they're now going forth with, despite what I think are some serious misgivings from the school district, they have committed themselves to keeping this neighborhood school. They're going to keep it. They're going to remodel it. It doesn't meet a lot of the criteria that they set out um, in terms of the number of students in a building, the number of, you know, the size of the playground, the amount of parking spaces they would want. But, you know, they're doing it. And I think that was a really good step, a very positive step. And I think one that the community, uh, which is often overlooked and discounted, because my school district is huge geographically. It, it runs, it's almost the size of a county. I mean, it's humongous. Real rural school district, very big. I don't know if any of the school board members actually live within the city limits. Um, Certainly none of them live within the neighborhoods of some of these poorer schools. There's a sense that the needs of these neighborhoods is often discounted or overlooked. In fact, one of my good friends who was on the committee resigned halfway through the the process. He was quoted in the paper saying some things that uh, were were, not... I was just going to say not very nice. I think they needed to be said. He said them in a rather inflammatory way, um, but he wasn't wrong. He made uh, the point that, you know, if we walk away from these neighborhoods, we're going to be turning them into ghettos. I know the point he was trying to make. The point he was trying to make is that 
the school district has often disinvested in these neighborhoods and led to a cycle of decline and neglect, kind of contributed to that. People involved in the process were very offended, and he ultimately quit to not be a distraction. That's the kind of dynamic you've got here. So Lowell School, the school with uh, a bunch of poor students, but also a, a good mix of very involved parents and affluent kids, affluent families. That school been well-maintained. It's going to stay. Harrison School looked like it was going to be threatened. Neighborhood rose up. Now we're going to keep Harrison School. Whittier School, I mentioned Lincoln and Whittier. Whittier School was closed. And the school district said, like, this is not usable as a school building. In fact, they went through and said, like, this building's not occupiable. It's a disaster. We can't do anything with it. And in fact, the school district said, we're going to tear this thing down. And there was outrage from the neighborhood. Whittier School is two blocks from my house, by the way. So this is right in the core of my neighborhood. The neighborhood rose up. They were all angry and upset. You can't tear down this school. And so the school district uh, kind of acquiesced to that and said, okay, we, we will try to find some other use. Th there was disagreement on the board. Some of them wanted to just tear it down and move on. But enough people on the board said, we're going to do something. And, and they, they did. They looked around and they found a, a buyer or a, someone they could give it to. I don't even know what the plan was. Uh, but they were going to come in and, and have like senior housing in it. And again, the neighborhood, and I wasn't part of the neighborhood at this point, I, I would not have been opposing this, but the neighborhood rose up and said, no, you can't do this. And it was a lot of the kind of NIMBY stuff, parking, 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 which is just absurd. And so the school district came back and said, we're tearing this sucker down. Like this thing's going down. You know, we're not going to deal with this. This building's going down. And in fact, I think they were like a week away from signing the contract to tear the thing down. A local charter school stepped forward and took over the school. And the fascinating thing is, despite the school district saying, like, this building cannot be used as a school, um, it would take millions of dollars to get it up to just a base standard. The Montessori people just walked right in and started using it. I've been using it ever since. It's been a great school. I walk by there all the time. There's kids out playing. It's one of those things like, okay, well, what are we doing here? So now we get over to Lincoln, the last of these four schools that were built at the same period of time. And what the school district has said is that Lincoln needs to go. It's old, run down, it's decrepit, it's gonna require millions of dollars of upkeep to make it usable. It's too small, it doesn't fit our model. And at the high school, we need the parking. Uh, Lincoln School is right across the street from the high school. And the idea is if we tear it down, uh, there's a bunch of parking spaces that we can put in that old area. And the high school really needs the parking. Lots of kids are driving. We want to make sure there's place for people when they come for events. And uh, so getting rid of Lincoln School would, would solve all those problems. I had my board for Strong Towns here a while back. And, and Ian Rasmussen from New York was just astounded and still jokes with me all the time about our neighborhood schools. As I was giving him the tour of town, I showed him Washington School, uh, which was closed. I went to Washington School in sixth and seventh grade. It was closed, and it was closed for many reasons, the same kind of things, like it can't be used as a school, it's outdated, it's old, it's decrepit. I remember one of the big ones at the time is, you know, it would need air conditioning in order to be used, and we just are not going to spend the money to put air conditioning in this old, junky, rundown building. So it was closed, they closed it up. Gorgeous school. I mean, three-story school, classical, you know, brick building, huge auditorium, gym. It's a fantastic school. I mean, it's a really great building. 
it's closed. Today, it is the uh, school district, district administrative offices. And by the way, it's fully air conditioned now too. <laughs> so uh, it's these kind of like dissonance things that just kind of make you shake your head, right? Franklin School, where I went for eighth and ninth grade, that's where I met my wife. That school, again, was another one that was closed. Good neighborhood school. That one is uh, five blocks from my house, six blocks from my house. So right like in the heart of Brainerd. Uh, really nice middle school. Again, can't be used, can't be utilized, not uh, going to work as a school. It was closed. It was rehabbed. It did cost quite a bit of money, a couple million dollars at least. Uh, it was rehabbed into an artist loft kind of place. The local theater has the auditorium there. They do plays. My kids go there during the summer for band lessons and violin lessons. There's artists who live there. There's artists who have just studios there and go there and work. In many ways, it's a successful place. But certainly, like, the building did not need to be torn down, despite what people were saying, how, how terrible it was. The space is really great. I mean, this is like a thick brick concrete building. It's gorgeous. It's a gorgeous space. And even the parts of that space, I've, I've kind of lurked around in there in some of the back spaces that aren't well used. And they're still in great shape. I mean, they're, it's, it's so nice. It's really nice. It's a great community asset. There's a couple other schools that the school district has abandoned over time. I didn't really know Edison. Edison was an old school that was abandoned when I was in uh, grade school myself. Garrison was another one. That one was sold to the city. Garrison is now their city hall. So there's this long history of the school district essentially like walking away from buildings that didn't suit their needs anymore. The difference here with Lincoln is that they're walking away from it and they're tearing it down. They're walking away from it and they're tearing it down. And I'll get back to this David Lee Roth story. As you go through this bond referendum, I didn't go to two years worth of meetings. The people that I knew that went to it, like the guy who resigned, made me think that maybe all things weren't right with this. Yet, you know, I come from this city that is uh, very pro-education, very progressive education. We're, we spend money on it. We're fine with it. We, we're more apt to not, you know, trust the school district, trust the, uh, the people we've elected to lead us, that they're going to make good decisions with our money because they have in the past. And we can look around and see that we have a really good school district. So why would we not kind of trust them and have faith in their decision-making process? But I go and like, what's the tell? This bond referendum is simplified down to three questions, but the three questions are spending hundreds of millions of dollars. There's a lot of nuance here. There's a lot of depth. There's a lot of things that are going into this. What is the tell? What's the tell that you know these guys are, are doing a good job? Because you can't know everything that goes into it, right? There's no one who's voting for this who's going to know exactly what they're voting for. In fact, I, I would guess most of the people who work for the school district don't know everything that's in this. They know some things. They might know the things that impact them or the things that are most important to them, but they're not privy to everything. How do you know that this is a good thing? What is the tell? And for me, I've been kind of stuck on two things. The first one is this Lincoln School. Let me talk about the other one, the second one, and then we'll go back to Lincoln School. A couple years ago, the school district went in and redid the south entrance to the high school. This was a place that had a little bit of green space, some benches, but it was kind of run down and neglected. It had some shrubs and stuff. The school district went in and just leveled all that, took all that out, took, every, took everything out. 
And what they put back was just a solid sheet of asphalt. I know why they did this. It was low maintenance. Uh, but you think about like a gateway to the school. I mean, there's hundreds of kids that walk through here every day. Um, when we go to the school for events and stuff, this is the door that we go in. This is the door that's open to the public. Uh, when we go in here, you know, it was just very shocking that somehow through the system, like this would be considered okay. That this would be considered an acceptable entrance to a multi-million dollar public facility. That replacing, you know, the minimal shrubs and trees that were there, the minimal attempt at landscaping, that what you wouldn't do is go in and, and do a nice job landscaping, but instead you would spend many times more that amount of money to rip everything out and just make it one sheet of asphalt so that in the winter you can just take like a four-wheeler and push the snow off. This seemed to me to be one of those tells that like, okay, nobody here understands how to make a real public investment. No one here really understands how to maintain anything. So now we get to Lincoln School. The school district came and made a presentation to a board that I'm on. And I listened to it and I asked them about Lincoln School. And I asked them about their proposal to uh, turn this into a parking lot. And the response I got is that this school is junky. It would cost millions of dollars to renovate. And you know we're going to do a nice parking lot. And the parking lot's going to have trees and shrubs and it will look really good. Now, understand that this is on the main north-south gateway to the city. You come into the city, you're going to drive right past this site. Right now, you're driving past a classical building, two-story, brick, very nice-looking structure. Um, but the school district said, you know, we're going to have some nice green space and stuff here. It's going to look really good. They've also said that it would cost $8.8 million just to get this up to a bare acceptable standard, not counting any kind of addition or anything that you would do, $8.8 million. And I, I, I'm looking at this as like, I can't get off of it. I'm like stuck on it as this tell. Are you being honest with me? Are you sharing values with me? Do we have the same vision for this community? And it's hard for me with the way they change the entrance to asphalt and the way now they want to tear down one of the most uh, you know, visible historic structures in the entire community on the most visible corridor we have, saying that you know, it can't possibly be used without millions and millions of dollars of investment it has no use, not just as a school, but for anybody, for any reuse. It's, the best use of it is just to demolish it and make it a parking lot. And oh, by the way, you'll like the parking lot because unlike the entrance that we did, this book is going to have a few trees in it so it will look acceptable. This has me questioning like the whole thing. I want to vote for all three parts of this referendum. I really do. I want to vote for all of them. I really want to support the schools and I want to invest the money in education here. I'm not worried about the tax increase. I'm not worried about, I'm happy to do this. I think we should do this. But I don't have a lot of faith that we're going to do it right. I, d I don't. And so what do you do? What do you do? Part of the problem here, and this is not necessarily the district as much as it is like the way we fund schools. Part of the problem is that the district can go out and get money through a bond referendum to build new stuff. This is the, the classic kind of strong towns argument. Um, but where do they get the money to maintain this stuff? Where does that come from? Well, that comes from the general fund, the general taxation. And that competes with teacher salaries, competes with books and supplies. It competes with busing. It competes with uh, after-school activities. It competes with all these other things uh, that are very important to us. So 
it is frustrating because even this brand new, and this is, I'm gonna go back to Forest View again, the brand new middle school that we built. And by brand new, it's, it's probably like 15 years old right now, although it feels very new to me. It's, a, it's the newest school that we have. It's been shocking to me to find out that there is deferred critical maintenance at Forest View School that's part of this bond referendum. A brand new school, like why are we not doing maintenance on it? Why are we deferring maintenance? And I can tell you why, because the money comes out of a different pot. It doesn't come out of the same pot that you go build stuff with. It comes out of this pot to pay teacher salaries and to uh, do other things. And maintenance always falls further, further down on the list. What do we do? What do we do? I don't know. I started a Facebook group and I've been kind of shocked and overwhelmed by how many people share my frustration over this that do not want Lincoln School torn down, that think that this would be a, a tragedy. And, and really that the idea of swapping this school out, this historic structure for a parking lot is just wrong in all kinds of ways. But what do we do? Do we just reject the whole thing? Do we say start over? I would vote for this even if I didn't have kids in school. I would want to vote for this. These are important investments in our community. And one of the competitive edges that we have in the city of Brainerd and this Brainerd Lakes area is that we have really good schools. You know, we've got neighborhoods in decline and our downtown needs a little love, but you move here and you're going to get a good education. I can promise you that. That's like, in a sense, our competitive advantage up front. Do we walk away from that? Do we, you know, reject this and say, go back to the... Uh, drawing board and start over, what would they come back with? You know, it's really frustrating for me because I, I feel like the district officials don't understand the city. They don't understand the neighborhoods. They don't understand the community. They don't understand. And this is no knock on them. You know, we don't ask them to be community planners. We ask them to run the school district and the school board. Um, but all of them live outside the city. All of them drive in. None of them walk around here. None of them really appreciate at least it's not clear to me that any of them appreciate the value of this historic structure and particularly its impact and placement within the community. It's very visible location. And so what else don't they get, right? Like what else is buried in this thing that I have not had time to ferret out that I don't know, that I'm just trusting that they've got figured out, that they know what they're doing? I don't know. I don't know. And I'm torn. I've got to decide in the next month whether to vote for this or, or whether to vote against it. And I got to say right now, I'm uncommitted. I don't know. I know the school district is feeling a lot of pressure. There's a lot at stake here. Whenever you go through one of these bonding processes, not only do you have people's reputation on the line, but you are spending lots of money to go through it. The idea that it would fail is very scary for people. They have put off maintenance. There are a lot of critical things that need to be done, particularly in the elementary schools, to make them safe places, to make them good places to learn. These are upgrades that need to happen. There's also upgrades that we would like to have happen. I would love to have my daughters who are in middle school right now be able to perform their art and their music when they get to that age at a beautiful performing arts center. I would, I would love that. Absolutely love it. But what do we do? You know, what do we do? I feel like I'm going to vote against this. And I feel like I'm going to vote against this with the idea that, you know, hopefully they would come back with something that would be more respectful of the community. But I, I don't know. I, I really don't know. I wanted to share this with you because I'm struggling with this one a little bit myself. I've kind of find myself in an odd place because 
again, I'm going to make another blanket statement, and this one's probably just as unfair as, as the other ones that I've made. It's not universal in any way, but in general, some of the older people in the community, the people without kids, tend to, at least vocally, be more critical and less supportive of the school district and these investments than younger people, people who have kids in the school district. And I think that makes sense. I mean, I just mentioned my two kids are going to school here. I mean, I would certainly love their facilities to be improved. If this is approved, my kids will directly benefit. That's a huge motivation for me. If I were older and didn't have kids in the school district, I, I may be a little bit more skeptical or leery of these things. Um, but what I found myself in this really odd place where all of a sudden my generation of people my friends and, and my colleagues and the people that I know real well in my neighborhood are kind of ticked off at me because I'm giving comfort to the enemy. And all of a sudden, all these older people are saying, look at this, Chuck Marone, he's such a smart guy. He's standing up for what's right. And, and I'm, I'm sitting here going, wait a sec, wait, this is not how this is supposed to go. I live in a city that has torn down almost every important building we've ever had. We were days away from tearing down our Carnegie Library we tore down our armory, we tore down our post office, we tore down our depot. These are things that like the depot building, when my dad was telling me about it, my dad was not like an emotional person. Years ago when my dad was telling me about it, he got tears in his eyes because of how great this building was, tore it down. It's a strip mall today. Most of the other ones are parking lots. Just breaks your heart. I think we gotta keep this building. I'm gonna keep pushing. Uh, right up to the date of the referendum in the hopes that the school board will come out and say, you know, this is negotiable. We'll, we'll change our minds. We'll take this part out. But if they don't, I, I, I think I've got to vote against this. I, I think I've got to vote for the long-term health of the community. Tearing out that school and making it into another parking lot is, uh, is something we're never going to be able to redo. We're never going to be able to take back. We've done too much of it. Things have got to change now. Thanks, everybody, for listening. You take care. I'll be back again real soon with another podcast. In the meantime, keep doing what you can to build strong towns. Taking risk is a necessity to becoming rich. It's also a necessity to go bankrupt. Bill, 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 Bill. That's a story. They know that America's one big pothole right now. Just to echo what you said, there are no silver bullet solutions. Chuck Marone, this has been fascinating. Who made this city? The window is not always open, but if nobody's pushing, then once the window opens, there'll be no chance to go through. I like you. I like your vision of the, of the world. The United Nations Earth Summit. Agenda 21. Yeah.